I went to the emergency room. I was there for like five, six hours doing all these tests and seeing all these doctors. And then they're like, there is literally nothing physically wrong with you. It's stress. And my response was, that is such BS. I don't believe that I'm not stressed, da, da, da. Mm -hmm. uh, and it took me five months to recover, so. <laughs> Have you ever let stress get the better of you? Want to know how to maximize your productivity? My name is Tommy Bowie. Follow me as I deep dive into the minds of successful entrepreneurs and industry professionals on the tools, tips, and strategies they use to overcome stress and boost productivity in their daily lives, especially when the going gets tough and the stakes are high. This is the Stressless Entrepreneur Podcast. My guest today is an award-winning marketing strategist, certified coach, and founder of Bosses in Europe, helping fiercely driven business owners scale and grow with ease so they can do more of what they love. If you're looking for a no-fluff, experienced strategist and coach who can help you take action with intention, stay motivated, and make smart decisions so you get to your goals, then you're in the right place. She's here to be your partner in crime, to cheer you on, and occasionally kick your butt, to hold your hand and to call you out on your BS. For her, it's all about you, creating a strategy and implementation plan that will work for your specific business, situation, strengths, and personality. I have here with me today, Maggie Gila. Maggie, welcome to the Stressless Entrepreneur Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I think now more than ever, talking about the Stressless Entrepreneur is even more important. One of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show today was because you run an award-winning digital marketing business. But to get to this point of success, you've had to overcome some obstacles, specifically business burnout. But before we discuss business burnout, are you able to just tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Sure. So I'm a business and marketing strategist. Essentially, that means I help entrepreneurs make more money online, get more clients, and in a way that feels good for their integrity. I am based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, but I actually grew up in Singapore. And I went through the local school system. And if anyone under, like, understands competitive Southeast Asian <laughs> education, then I think that definitely contributed a lot to my perfectionistic tendencies and, you know, the feel like I have to overwork myself constantly to get to success. Mm -hmm. My brand is very much fantasy infused. So mm -hmm. my dog's name is Frodo. I'm a big fan of like Harry Potter and Game of Thrones and all the dragons and magic and everything. And that was definitely a big turning point when I added more of my personality to, you know, video games and everything to my brand. And I also run live events. So I run retreats and events for entrepreneurs. So Talking about bringing in some authenticity and personality to your brand, was this a strategic decision? And did you introduce, I guess, measures and metrics to understand that introducing this type of personal flavor, you could say, would bring to your business? Sort of. I think I did it not so much from, well, partially from like a business strategy revenue perspective, but this was right around the time I was going through that burnout and I realized like, you know, I have a master's of science in marketing strategy and I hated my own marketing. Like there's a very clear sign something isn't working right. Yep. And part of that is I realized that all of my marketing was like, oh, I'm Maggie the strategist. It's like, well, no one cares Maggie the strategist. There's like a million other coaches and strategists out there. Why should I care about you? And I realized that I had held a huge part of myself back because I was stuck in this, oh, I have to be professional. And my idea of professional was, 
corporate suits all about like KPIs and metrics and results because that was like my background. And that's not how things work, especially in the online space. And especially if you're a coach or a consultant or service-based entrepreneur where you're selling yourself because, you know, with the famous Seth, um, is it Seth Godin who said it? People buy mm -hmm. from people. I hope I quoted that correctly. <laughs> I think it was Seth Godin who said people buy from people. So Simon Sinek, sorry, we can look that up later for the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, but I realized like none of my personality was in my business. It was all about strategy and tactics. And frankly, like it wasn't working and no one really cared. But I was getting clients when I was able to build relationships. So that kind of got me thinking, the clients I'm getting, I'm getting by referral or through the relationships I've built. Why is that not translating to my marketing? Why is my marketing not working? And it was definitely like a big mental block because I really believed that, like I play video games every night. I, I'm 30 and I thought I would grow out of it and I still haven't. Mm -hmm. You know, Lord of the Rings, dragons, unicorns, magic, wizards, all that is something I, I absolutely love. And I thought that by sharing that, I would be seen as really childish and unprofessional and no one would ever want to work with me ever again. Yep. So it was a huge mindset block there. But I, I started testing things. Like it was, you know, I was in a lot of, Facebook groups for entrepreneurs. And I one, one day I just said, I'm just going to put up this photo um, I had of myself where my hair was pink and I had a tiara on. I was going to some kind of like music festival. And I said, hi, I'm Maggie. I love playing video games. I'm a strategist. Here's what I do. And, you know, here's my dog Frodo. And that response to that one Facebook post was absolutely incredible. And that gave me the confidence to do more with it. Yeah. And it comes down to integrating the things that you enjoy in your personal life into your business so that you become more comfortable in that environment, but also enjoy being in the business environment. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's how people can actually get to know you as a multifaceted human being, not just Maggie, the strategist, but that's how you build connections. That's how you get business in the end. Mm -hmm. Let's take a step back and dive straight into your personal story of burnout. Are you able to tell us a bit more about it, you know, why it happened and how you found out? Yeah. So how it happened, well, actually I'm going to start with, with how I found out uh, yep. because I didn't believe them. <laughs> I have been working, you know, normally as I thought for, this was probably 18 months into building my business. So I was doing all the things. And at one point I took a break. I went back to, we were living in Germany at the time and we went back to the Netherlands to celebrate King's Day. Do me a favor, Google image King's Day Amsterdam, and you'll get an idea of Big celebration, big party, everyone's in orange. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it was like my first kind of like big break in a few months and I started getting really dizzy. And within three days, I was so dizzy, I couldn't walk. I thought I was, it's like if you had like, you know, too much tequila on a night out and everything's spinning. Mm -hmm. It was like that, but it was like 10 in the morning and I was sober. So I, that got me really freaked out. I thought I was like, I have a brain tumor or I'm dying. Like I couldn't think of what could be happening. I went to the emergency room. I was there for like five, six hours doing all these tests and seeing all these doctors. And then they're like, there is literally nothing physically wrong with you. It's stress. And my response was, that is such BS. I don't believe that I'm not stressed, da, da, da. Mm -hmm. uh, and it took me five months to recover. So <laughs> when you found out, how did you manage that process? Because, you know, you, you would have gone through denial. You would have said, you know, it's not the stress. I'm doing what I enjoy. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it may be the business. What got you through that period? And what was that realization that's got you to just change that mindset and overcome it? 
Well, yeah, that's a really good point because I was absolutely in denial. I was like, I'm just, I'm not stressed. I'm just busy. But I think, you know, when you're not able to go for a walk for six weeks or five months, then you start realizing, hmm, maybe they were right. And I think I started getting really motivated in a weird way because I wasn't able to work for a few months because I was just not able to have a phone conversation or a Zoom call or really think too much. I really needed just rest and recovery. And that was really obvious because like my, my body basically gave me a giant middle finger. And if I was on a call after 10 minutes, I would start again getting really, really dizzy. Yep. So like I physically wasn't able to do my work. Mm-hmm. And for me, I it, that was a big wake up call or light up moment or whatever you want to call it because I was like, I really want this business to be a success. I really want this to work. I need this to work. Because at that time, it wasn't really working. And that's when I said, okay, I've been following all these gurus online I've been trying to do like, you know, every day before that had me like with like 50 Pinterest tabs open with different blog posts on your Instagram and webinars and funnels and sales sequences. And I said, okay, like screw this. This is clearly not working. What do I know to be true? And I have a master's of science and marketing strategy. One of the big things that people ask me, why is it a master's of science and not a master of arts? And the reason is that it was all about data analysis, market research, and statistics. It was all about facts. So mm-hmm. that's what I, that's the approach I took. I said, okay, that's what I know. Like, I'm going to stop watching all the webinars now and go back to what I know, which was market research. So I went to, you know, I made a list of who do I think my ideal clients are who are able and willing to pay me. Yep. I made a list of their potential problems and aspirations and hopes and dreams. And I started getting on calls with them. I started asking the questions and that let me go from hire me for strategy because the answer is no one cares about strategy apart from other strategists. People care about what can strategy help them achieve. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it was, you know, how does your marketing make me make you feel like you're screaming into the void? That was a quote from a conversation I had in one of those market research calls. And that was the headline of my about page for about two, three years that one sentence started getting me clients. Mm-hmm. That's about understanding not just marketing in itself and the strategy, but what's the resulting outcome? What's the intent? What's that final output that you're trying to figure out, isn't it? Exactly. It's about like the transformation because again, like if I ask my clients, like pretty much all my clients, if they never had to hear the word marketing again, they would be so happy mm-hmm. because it's not really about marketing. At the end of the day, people do the marketing so they can get more revenue. They can get more clients. They can get more money. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the end goal of, of visibility and of marketing or even of, of business strategy. It's not actually about the process. That's where I come in. That's my job to say, here's how we're going to you know, work on it. But the end goal is what's important to the client. So it's really about switching up your messaging. Looking back at hindsight, because we know hindsight's an incredible thing. Were there common themes that created the business burnout for yourself? You know, you mentioned perfectionism earlier. Were there other common themes that you can look back and say that was a direct impact on the burnout? Yeah, there were quite a few of those things. Like it was just, I didn't have the confidence in my own knowledge. So I, although I, I, you know, and everyone has experience, everyone has life experience that you, you know, how you make decisions. But I, I came into this online world and the thinking like, oh, I'm a total newbie. I have to start from zero. So I have to go listen to everyone. And I start picking up information that I held onto as beliefs. If that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I, I listened to a webinar when someone said that she got all her clients by giving value in Facebook groups, even before she had a website, I was like, oh, that's what I have to do then. Yep. So I, I was picking up all these things and 
wasting so much time about things that didn't really matter. The perfectionism was, was a severe one. I had 55 unpublished blog posts because I generally thought they were all crap. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, if I had a little bit more confidence in myself, in my own abilities, in my own knowledge, it would have helped me so much putting things out there. You mentioned 50 unpublished or 55 unpublished blog posts. What yeah. was going through your minds at that time, say when you were writing up the 55th blog post? Um, I would start writing because I would get a hit of inspiration and I would then like, I would, so the thing is this, now I understand why, and now I have a lot of things in place, but I wasn't playing to my strengths. Blog post writing is not my strength. That's why I have a podcast now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and at the time, like, I thought that's just what you had to do. You had to have a blog because everyone was saying you have to have a blog. So I kept thinking there's something wrong with me because I'm not able to finish these posts. So I would start writing the post because I get, would get hit by inspiration. I would start the draft and it would get to like 80, 75, 80% done. And then I would just be like, oh my gosh, this is such crap. It's just terrible. So-and-so has a much more in-depth post. I shouldn't even bother. It's just like, everyone's going to hate it. And everyone's going to judge me because it's not like good enough. And it's not reflecting well enough of my own ability. Mm-hmm. So that was just, that was it. That was the same thought process I had with every single post. And now I found that one, I really am not great at finishing stuff. Just in general, I'm a quick start on the, I think it's called the Colby Strength Finder. I'm a quick start. So I am really good at starting things. Yep. Um, so now I have a VA who helps me finalize the draft because it's just, it's never going to be something that comes easy to me. And I think at that time, I thought that there was something wrong with me because I was the only idiot out there, you know, that's what I was thinking, who couldn't finish blog post. Yep. So that's how I work now. Like I batch my podcast episodes and I literally have potential time blocked to my calendar for several days. Like, you know, I had one yesterday, I've got one today, I've got one on Thursday, for example. And then depending on my energy that day is when I'm like, cool, I feel energized, I feel excited. I'm now going to dive in and I'm going to batch as many podcast episodes as I can. Then I hand off to an editor because again, if I, that's the finalizing process. If I had to finalize my own podcast episodes, there would not be a podcast because I just, I am not great at that. And when I'm getting something ready to like put it out there, like a blog post, like a podcast episode, even like a newsletter, yep. I get those feelings coming up. Like even now, like this is four or five years after that burnout, I get those feelings of what if it's not good enough come up a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's where I, my awareness now is much higher. And I literally like mentally, I'm swatting those thoughts away in my head and I'm making sure that my process from creation to publishing is as short as I can possibly make it. Because if I get stuck in that editing process, that thing's never going to get finalized because those thoughts are just going to come up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, you transitioned to podcasting. Are you currently rehashing the, the podcast into a blog post? Yes. Repurpose all the things. Mm-hmm, so I'm mm-hmm. still, I do a lot of writing, but that's more for social media. So Facebook posts, Instagram, LinkedIn, things like that, newsletters. That's not so much teachy blog posts. But again, I've also found that, you know, video and audio is, is I'm so much better suited to video and audio because I feel like I can, I can better express myself through talking than by writing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's also really fine, just finding what you're more comfortable with. And you don't need to have a blog or a podcast or a video it's just finding your own strengths and how can you make things simple for yourself? Mm-hmm. You mentioned previously that you pass on the podcast to your editor and talking about simplifying and scaling the business. What does scaling a business mean to you in the context of growth? 
I think the big thing for me, if we're talking about like, let's say service-based entrepreneurs, consultants, coaches, or actually quite a few businesses, it's moving away from the business model of exchanging hours for cash. Mm -hmm. Like I struggle with a chronic health condition well, struggle, maybe not the right word, but I, I have a chronic health condition that is unpredictable. So sometimes I have like a week or two that I just have to take off because I'm not able to work. And for me, an unskilled business would mean that I, because I'm taking a week off, I'm losing a week's worth of revenue. So it's looking at how can you move your business model away from pure hours for money into something that's, that doesn't require as much of you to make revenue. For the entrepreneurs who have just started the business, I myself would be categorized in, in that. I'm currently doing about 80 hours a week total mm -hmm. um, in terms of time and effort. At the moment, I'm still excited. I still have that mm -hmm. energy to pursue and work as effectively as possible. Do you have any guidance to those people who not necessarily don't believe that you can work more effectively using less hours? But it's just that temporary mindset that I've just started my business. I need to put in the hours. How can we get away from that uh, mm -hmm. mindset of we have to put in the hours to be successful? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you really don't have to put in those hours to be successful. I mean, you, you can look at it. There's a lot of case studies out there of people who like they are anomalies. They are outliers. But there's people who made like six figures in the first six months of business without putting in 90 hours of work. And I'm not saying that's something to, you know, to to try to strive for because, for every one of those people, there is like 10 more who stopped their business after a year because it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. um, that's It's a really, really good question, actually, Tommy. I'm, I'm now thinking I had to answer that because part of that comes with experience. Like I know if I take breaks, like I take a morning off or I absolutely do not work on weekends. I try not to work after six o'clock or I, I almost never work after 6 p.m. It makes me a more productive and creative person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right it's sort of like when you get ideas in the shower it's the same principle like you need to step away from your day-to-day -day routine to allow your brain to connect the dots in your subconscious that's where you can get your best ideas so part of that is to maintain productivity you have to take breaks so and um, there's actually even a study about offices that productivity increased if people actually took a lunch break away from their desk yep so that's the same principle the other thing i, I would say like apart from just guys, please go take breaks, <laughs> is make sure you're tracking your ROI, your output. So ROI stands for return on investment. Here, I'd really focus on the return on your time investment. Mm -hmm. So for example, when I was starting on this kind of made me reset, I was spending like, I don't know, probably four to six hours a day, you know, air quotes, giving value in Facebook groups. Because that's what people said. Oh, you have to go talk to people, make connections, go to Facebook groups, da, da, da. So that's what I did. Yep. But then you look at after a month, like, okay, so you're spending, let's say, three hours a day in Facebook groups. That's 15 hours a week. That's, what, 60 hours a month that you're spending doing that task. And, you know, you, you can take out Facebook groups and put in something else. What's the output you've received? Did you get any leads, inquiries, you know, potential client conversations, any revenue from that? So it's really looking like actually listing down, here's where my time is going because a trap that a lot of people can fall into, and I've definitely been there as well, is that just because you're spending time doing something doesn't mean that time is productively spent. Yep. Like I spent hours in Photoshop playing around with graphics. Mm -hmm. That was mm -hmm. not a productive use of my time at all, at all. And that comes down to one of the strategies you put in place and that's, 
outsourcing to those who have the specialist skills so that you get that higher ROI. Mm-hmm. Although it may come at a cost, over the long term, you're making that back in profit and more importantly, time. Absolutely, because I have actually a good example here with my videos on YouTube. I started out by editing them myself, but again, like I'm a quick start, so I'm great at sitting down and making the content, but the finalizing stage just takes me forever. So for like one five minute video for YouTube, took me maybe three to four hours of editing because I just procrastinated the crap out of it, right? <laughs> it wasn't that it took me four hours to edit, it's just that I didn't feel like doing it. So I was like sitting at my computer, kind of editing, but not really. So that was, let's say four hours of my time. Mm-hmm. Or I could pay someone, let's say $50, they would edit the video for me. So yes, it would cost me $50, but I would get back the four hours of my time that I would have otherwise spent editing. So then the question is, what else can I do with those four hours that I now have that give me a higher ROI? Mm-hmm. What can I do with those four hours to actually make more revenue? Does that make sense? So it's kind of, if you are good at something, for example, being the visionary for the business, you should be able to have more time to do that because that's where you're most effective, right? Absolutely. Like if you're an entrepreneur, like, you know, your time should be spent on the vision, on content and on sales. Those are your three goals. Yeah. Do you have advice on entrepreneurs who are doing their best to stay a lean business? And do you believe that we as business owners, do we need to at least dab into you know, the Photoshop or the WordPress and coding just to get a better understanding of what effort it actually takes for an outsourced person to deliver? That's a great question. So my journey is a little bit different because when I started out, I started out as a freelancer. Well, basically, (laughs) a bit of backstory there. I finished my Master's of Science in Marketing Strategy in Amsterdam and two weeks later, we moved due to my husband's job to Germany different language, different culture, and we moved to the capital of finance. So my marketing degree meant absolute zilch over there. So I was, I spent six months looking for a job. I did get a single interview and that's where I start freelancing. I was doing copy editing. I started learning how to code and I start learning, you know, the basics of Photoshop and graphic design, things like that. Cause I was like, just trying to get a job that Mm -hmm. led me to, you know, remembering I have a master's in marketing and starting to do consulting work because that's what I really, really enjoyed. And, you know, I, I love seeing businesses make more money because of me. So I did have that background. I do have a bit of that background already. So I do a lot of my own. I am a terrible designer, but I am capable of finding my way around Photoshop, right? I don't think it's necessary for an entrepreneur to have to do that. I think it's important. So for example, when I'm setting up a new tool, I do the setup myself. So for example, we are, we are using headliner for my podcast so to make mm-hmm. little like short graphic video things to promote my podcast. I set that to up myself and I just, I did the first setup myself so I could understand the process. So I knew, okay, it takes me maybe 20 minutes to make something. So I know if someone says, oh, it took me an hour, here's how much you owe me. And she did five graphics. I'm like, oh, cool. She has good timing. But then yep. I, I, it, it, it helps my own sense of awareness of, am I getting what I'm paying for? Or is this a good use of my finances? Now, I want to go back to the first part of your question here, which was about running a lean business, because that's a really, really important point, I think, for starting entrepreneurs. I definitely have a lean business myself, but for something like the podcast, I knew for me to maximize the use of my time, I had to have an editor. 
Like that was just a non-negotiable for me because otherwise, because right now I, my solo episodes are 15 minutes. It takes me 15 minutes to record one episode. Like yeah. I normally use the first draft. Sometimes I repeat a sentence or two, but it's more or less, it's very close to the first draft. If I had the editing, it would probably take me an hour or two per episode. Right. So yeah. for me, I knew moving towards doing a podcast that was going to be part of my investment was going to have an editor. I think that's a really difficult question for beginner entrepreneurs to answer for themselves. Like where's the best use of my time? Because that comes with experience. But I think maybe part of it is kind of like, don't be too stingy about tools that save you time. Yep. So for example, one of the first things I bought, and again, it was like three months to make that decision on something that cost me like 16, one, six dollars a month. Cause when you're starting out, like everything that costs money, you're just like, ah, <laughs> I want to keep it. Um, mm -hmm. And that was a tool called SmarterQ, which recycles your social media posts. So by getting that tool and spending $16 a month or however much it was, I was saving myself two hours a week, maybe, plus a lot of, oh crap, I forgot to post on Facebook today moments. So the mm -hmm. mental energy and the time saved like, is more than worth those $16. So I would really look at like, you can make a list of here's where all my time is going and then look at any tasks that aren't involving vision, content, or sales. Mm -hmm. From those, see, can anything be automated? Like if you can spend 20 bucks a month, but your social media is done and you're saving yourselves four hours a week, then the question is, is that worth the 20 bucks for you or not? Mm -hmm. You mentioned vision, content, and sales. Is that three key themes or principles that are important in running a business? I think so. I mean, in, in, those are the three, in my opinion, especially if you're running an online based business, that would be your job as the entrepreneur or the, the, the person behind that. And even like content and sales can both be outsourced, but I've seen that that definitely gets outsourced when, you know, a business is like maybe multi six figures, then they start outsourcing content on a bigger scale. But you can, even within that, you can outsource parts of it. So like editing or formatting your newsletter, things like that especially if you are batching things. I'm a huge fan of batching. So you're sitting down and you're writing three or four blog posts in one morning versus writing a blog post every week. But again, like it, that depends on your work style. How many people do you have working for you at the moment in terms of whether it's freelancing part-time or full-time? I don't have any full-time employees. It's all freelancers and I've got about six, but it's again, it's, it's very project-based. So if we're batching a podcast, then my editor gets like four or six episodes at one shot, then they edit it and then it comes back to me. And are you seeing any impacts due to COVID-19 on your business? And leading on to that, are there some current challenges that you're going through with your business? Definitely. So, I mean, the week that COVID-19 broke out in Europe, I was supposed to start promoting my next retreat. Yep. <laughs> so we were like, hmm probably not the best time to do that now. And we had been like leading up to that. We had been teasing about the retreat. We were like sharing photos. So it was a big buildup. They were like, okay, well, obviously that's not smart to, to, for that to happen. So I have two retreats, um, one in September, one in October. I'm hoping they'll both end up going through, but you know, at the end of the day, I have absolutely no idea right now. I'll have to revisit that in May and June. All of my speaking gigs have been canceled. So I was to speak at um, IMD Business School, which is one of the top business schools in the world in Switzerland and that's been canceled. I think as a business model, I'm fairly okay apart from the live events. And I've been really trying to show up a lot more for my clients and for my community. So that's been a big thing here with 
you know, something like this, like it drains a lot of your energy. Yep. Like it's, there's so much uncertainty in the world right now. And there's so much, you know, personally, business-wise for your country, for your community, for your neighborhood, for your family, your friends, your travel plans, like everything. So I think that's draining a lot of energy from everyone right now. You know, had these conversations with people like, things feel like they're taking 50% more energy than normal. Mm -hmm. And part of that is for me, I have been taking a lot more breaks. And I had that this morning, like I was trying to do something. I was like, this is taking forever. I'm just not feeling it. I've been sitting at my computer for an hour and I've gotten like three things written. I need to, to move. I need to go and do something else right now and then come back to that with a bit of a, a fresher energy. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, you know, your re retreats have been canceled. Your speaking gigs have been canceled. Has that given you some thought in terms of, do I need to pivot my business or is this just a temporary thing that I need to mitigate whilst, you know, there is the uncertainty? That's a good question. So first of all, um, just for clarity, my retreats have not been canceled because they're in September and October. So yep, I'm, yep. I've canceled the promotion for now and I'm just going to, I'm taking that one step at a time. Worst case scenario, we're going to postpone to a different date when right, things right. calm down. But for now, I'm not making a decision on that. I don't feel the need to pivot my business as much because what I do is set up in a fairly solid way. It's business and marketing strategy. You know, some of my products like the retreats are affected by this. The pivots I'm choosing to make now is to focus a lot more on digital products, on lower cost offers than, for example, promoting my strategy intensives or my premium retainers or like a six month mastermind. That's a personal decision because asking people for a six month commitment or a high financial commitment right now doesn't sit right with me. Mm -hmm. So that's like, a, it's a partially strategic decision because like if there's high uncertainty, someone's not going to really want to, there's a less of a chance of someone wanting a six month commitment for something. Like we don't know what's happening tomorrow with the world, much less than six months, but partially it's been a decision as well for my own integrity. Like, you know, and I'm very good at thinking strategically and that's sometimes that's gotten me in trouble in the past where I forget about my own feelings and my own, you know, how I actually emotionally feel about that decision. Like the blog post, we talked about that. It was a strategic thing and I completely ignored the fact that it wasn't a right thing for me. You know, I sit with that decision. I think like, how do I actually feel about this? And like, I physically don't feel great about now promoting an expensive, you know, or a premium offer. So for me, I'm like, cool. What can I do that fits really well with what people are looking for now? So I've added free virtual co-working sessions. I'm hosting like every Friday free virtual cocktails and coffee for people to like just chat and like hang out online together. And I'm adding these like lower cost offers. So there's definitely been a little bit of a pivot, but it still all ties very, very well under my business umbrella, let's say. Mm -hmm. I really love that you mentioned leading with integrity in this time of uncertainty. I myself want to make sure that when it comes to uncertainty, that I lead with my values and missions as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm making a decision and I know that I could potentially, uh, my decisions can negatively impact the person after me or the community, the question comes to my mind is, well, how much am I willing to sacrifice at this point in time? Because I've been very fortunate enough to not lose my full-time job which keeps the, the cash flow coming. But I know that mm -hmm. there are a lot more other people that were just said, you know, businesses to literally just shut down and they're receiving no income at all. Yeah, it's really scary now. Like, that's why I said, like, I'm very lucky to be in this position. I'm used to working online. I'm used to working with tools like Zoom and Asana and things like that. 
but there's definitely still a lot of uncertainty. And, and I have clients who have businesses that are 100% around travel. So their entire revenue and business has evaporated within a matter of days. So for someone like that, then it gets much more difficult. And like, not to mention businesses that are not online, like for example, like hairdressers, mm-hmm. massage therapists, that's a much more difficult pivot. That's a much more significant pivot than for someone like me, where I can still kind of more or less keep doing what I, what I have been doing, but I'm being a lot more mindful of my messaging, of my marketing, of the words I'm using, like Speaking about integrity, so there's kind of two ways of marketing things. There's the fear-based marketing and there's aspiration-based marketing. Yep. So for example, in like in a normal, you know, if this wasn't happening, fear-based marketing for me, which I don't really use, would be what if your business fails and you have to go back to nine to five, you should hire me to help you make your business a success, right? Mm-hmm. And aspiration-based marketing would be like, imagine if, you know, your business was booked out with dreamy unicorn clients, hire me and I'll help you do that. Mm-hmm. I don't use fear marketing too much, or like the pain point marketing too much. I'm kind of use a bit, bit of a mix of both because my clients tend to be not in a huge amount of pain. It's like, yeah, I want more clients, but things are fairly okay. Now with this crisis, I'm like, please do not use fear-based marketing at all. There is so much fear out there in the world. There's so much uncertainty. This is like when every entrepreneur, every business needs to go like triple check all their messaging, their email sequences, their Facebook ads, everything, and take out any fear-based marketing and messaging out of that. It's just not the right timing. Yeah. And I've seen fear-based marketing throughout some of the advertisements that come through. And I almost feel as though it's come from a a sense of greed, you know, in the sense that, you know, that, that's one of the reasons why we see the toilet rolls uh, in the shopping supermarkets all sold out because of that fear-based marketing and the panic that mm-hmm. it's setting th- through. You know, it's what we don't realize is that if everyone had just purchased as normal, we would actually not be out of stock. But because that fear-based panic has come through, everybody's just, in, if I don't do it, then I'm going to lose out. Absolutely. I kind of blame Australia for the toilet thing, by the way. I think it was an Australian newspaper <laughs> who came up with an article yep. <laughs> about toilet rolls and like the entire world just like went panicky. Yeah. I mean, I think in the Netherlands specifically, I feel like no one's been really panic buying, but the, the supermarkets have been fairly out of stock. But it's like here, Dutch houses are quite small with fairly small fridges and storage spaces. Yep. So we're used to going grocery shopping every like two to three days normally. And if suddenly you have 17 million people who do two weeks worth of groceries on the same day. Well, of course the shelves are empty. So anyway, a little bit off topic here. It's been more or less rational ish. <laughs> yep, that's great to hear as well. Let's talk about stress and stress management. Great segue. Are there stress management tools or techniques that you use regularly that you can mention to the audience? Yeah, it's something I'm constantly exploring and constantly testing out. And I think it's really about finding what works for you. Like I have ADD and things like the idea of sitting down to meditate for an hour or 20 minutes, just like that stresses me out. Yep. So for me, I love this website called soulseconds.com by Natalie McNeil, who's a mentor of mine. Mm -hmm. They're all like little videos and meditations and mudras that are less than 180 seconds each. I'm like, I can do three minutes. Okay, cool. I can do three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I really like using. I like listening to medita- like guided meditations as I'm falling asleep because it feels like I don't have to take, you know, I'm, I, I love my business. Like, as you said, I love my business. 
if my husband's not home in the evening, I'm like sitting in front of Netflix, a glass of wine, and I've got my laptop open and I'm working because I really, truly enjoy it. So for me, it's like the idea of I have to take time out from things I feel like I should be doing to go like air quotes, take a break and meditate. It feels like a waste of time. But if I do it when I'm like in bed and falling asleep, then it feels like much more okay, (laughs) if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just kind of finding what works for you. So for me, going for a long walk with my dog, it's going to the forest, it's taking some time out and just like being able to relax with a cup of coffee and a blank notebook things like that. So it's, it's much less, I think, I guess, official stress management techniques. Like I don't really do too much yoga or NLP and things like that, but it's just kind of, it's been building my own list of here are the things I can easily tap into when I'm not feeling great. Mm-hmm. You mentioned just simply going on walks is a great way for you to de-stress. We often take walking for granted And we always use walking to get from point A to point B, but we're never actually Mm -hmm. consciously just going on walks just for the fact that we need to take a break or, you know, with no end destination in a sense. Yeah. And, you know, I have a dog, so I have to, (laughs) but that's been really helpful because before we got, his name is Frodo. So before we got Frodo, I had quite a bit of back pain. So I have like minor scoliosis, but if you're like hunched over at your desk for 18 hours a day, like I had quite sharp back pain for a really long time and like literally a few months after getting Frodo and like suddenly you have to walk with him like 20,000 times a day. That's what it feels like anyway. I've not had back pain in four years. Let's talk about what's next for you in the next 12 months or 24 months. Noting that there is some uncertainty in our current times, what's going through your business strategy at the moment in scaling or growth? That's really difficult to answer because like things have been so up in the air right now. My original plan was definitely to do a lot more of these retreats. You know, we I just ran one in Florida. So it was like, can we make that like an annual thing? Things like that, which is now again, like we can't really plan too much. I would really like to write a book or two. Um, mm-hmm. I Like I mentioned earlier, like I'm a big fan of video games and fantasy. And I think there's a lot to be learned from video games that entrepreneurs can apply in their business. One of the mantras, which actually would be really good to mention, one of the mantras that I... I think I'm pretty sure like I made this up on the spot during one of my events. Okay. And since then it's become a mantra for me. It's test it, tweak it, try again. And that's been something that's helped me so much get past that perfectionism because I started seeing things much more like a game. Like I am just testing things out. I'm seeing if it works. It's an experiment. Yep. If it doesn't yep. work, that's cool. So I'd love to write a book. I would love to do a lot more our speaking. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes with the, the current state of the world. And I would eventually love to create a certification program within the online space. There's not many people who do what I do. And I see like in a lot of these, like get more clients kind of programs or, you know, business building programs, they skip a lot of the fundamental basics that are important for a long-term sustainable, profitable business. So I'd love to create like a strategy certification program that we, yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah. We mentioned perfectionism at the start of this episode and now you live by testing things and tweaking it. The, the whole concept of, of testing something, you're in a sense planning to fail because you want that initial feedback, isn't it, to, to allow you to, to tweak based on feedback. Yeah, like my, uh, I mean, I guess I, I think our, that 
reframe probably wouldn't work for me because I'm, I'm really scared of the word failing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of like, take that, like make it what you, what's going to work for you. So that's fantastic. Like for me, like a great example of this, I think is my, my events. Like I've, I've always known since I started my business, like, oh my God, one day I would love to run these like transformational retreats about business. And I'd love to do these in Europe. So it's like, oh my, like the hills of Tuscany, like big Italian villa in an olive grove that would just tell you magical. So that was part of like my business vision originally. I just, it was kind of like a thought in the back of my head. One day I would love to do that, but it like, and have a time or anything. And then I started running events and it was like, my first event was a $50 workshop in my living room where I lost money because I spent way too much on dessert. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, let me try this. If no one comes cool. And I had 17 people come from all across Europe and including New Jersey and Vancouver Island in Canada. And they came to Amsterdam for my one day event. Yep. Yep. So for me, I was like, wow, okay, that worked. How can yep. I improve it? Yep. And that's, um, I mentioned failure there, but failure is quite subjective, isn't it? It all comes down to what the expectations were and what you've set out to do initially at measuring the goal, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Because on one hand, like I could say I, I, that event completely failed because I didn't make money. I didn't get a new client from it. On the other hand, it got me set on that trajectory to run three international events in nine months. And less than two years after my first $50 workshop, I ran a sold out retreat in Tuscany. That retreat would not have been possible without me going through that process and doing that workshop and doing the second event and and so on and so on. And Obviously, the first time you've done something, you understand the process, you know what worked, what didn't work. And the second time just becomes that much more easier, isn't it? It does. Yeah, it's like a funny thing here, because it took me, I ran three of those events the first nine months, it was all like in, you know, in my living room, I went, we went to Antwerp in Belgium, and we used someone else's living room for two days. And then I did one in near Frankfurt in Germany, in a co working space, So I rented that out. So I was able to kind of test the formats, test like what worked, what didn't. But at the end of those three, I was just like, I don't know why I'm so tired after these. Like, it doesn't make sense. And I was speaking to my mom about that. And she was like, it's because you're an introvert. And I was like, I'm a what? Mm-hmm. I'm a what? And she's like, yeah, yeah, it's because you're an introvert. Like, I could have told you this like years ago. So I ran three international, it took me running three international live events to realize I am actually an introvert, which I never knew because I, I enjoy being social and I like talking to people, but it takes me a lot of energy. So that's, that was like one of the a huge learning experience from that process. Like now I make sure I have days in my ca- days in my calendar where I don't take calls because I know now I need to manage my energy for that. Yeah. And do you track your energy levels on a daily basis? Because energy is quite also subjective and it comes down to the mental capacity, but also the physical capacity. How would you measure your energy rating, I guess, by the end of the day? That's a great question. So I don't do anything formal and uh, my energy like spikes throughout the day. So like I, I'm aware that in the mornings between it's like 9, 9.30 and 12.30-ish, that's when I can be really productive and creative. Mm-hmm. So I try and make sure that's I have space in my calendar around those times where I can batch podcasts or write or work on like a project. In the afternoons, I tend to be a lot less, you know, my energy is a lot lower for being creative, but those are great times to have client conversations yep. like because I, I'm able to bounce off someone else's energy and get mm-hmm. something done. Talking about challenges, removing the excitement that is business, are there things that you're constantly thinking about in, in this current time? 
and I know we we, we mentioned <laughs> Is the world gonna end? COVID nineteen, <laughs> but you know, yeah, outside of COVID nineteen, well, I guess COVID's just around everything we do, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, at this point, it is. Um, it's a good question. I I think part of like I'm always looking to push myself. I'm always like, what can I do better? I actually have to like force myself to pause and celebrate things when I achieve them because I'm very much like, okay, cool, goal is ticked. What's next? Um, mm-hmm. So I have to like, force myself to like, actually pause and celebrate and like, okay, actually, you know, enjoy that feeling for a while. I think like comparison is probably one. I'm always like, oh, so-and-so is doing it, you know, better in a whatever way. Why are you not doing that? So I think like definitely dealing with those thoughts is important as well of staying true to your own path. And I know it's going to sound a little bit woo, but every single time I've achieved something that's been, that's gone really, really well, it's because I've said, I've just like put my blinders on, put my head down and just focus on my own vision. So yeah, it's, it's really kind of maintaining your own confidence in yourself to keep going. Yeah. I like that you mentioned comparison because I have an interesting, well, I have a love-hate relationship between the people I follow in Facebook and Instagram because on the one hand, I'm following some of the people who are successful that I aspire to be. But on the other hand, some of the stuff that they post, it just starts making me doubt myself if I can actually get to that point. I completely understand. You know, like I love Marie Froley and Amy Porterfield, but I I don't actively follow them. I'm not on the newsletters anymore. I used to be because it was just... Um, sometimes it just feels too too out of reach. Honestly, I would say like, and this is for anyone, just unfollow those people. If you're if you're going on social media and you're feeling triggered, unfollow yeah. them for a while. Like unsubscribe from newsletters. Like especially with com- competitors, people who are doing similar things to you, you don't need that in your life. Like if if it's making you feel uncomfortable and if it's making you feel insecure and you see those posts and you're just like, like why have I not achieved that yet? unfollow them you don't need that crap in your life right now focus on what you do well one tip i have here is to have a love folder so it could just be it could be physical it could be in on your computer a digital one but every time someone sends you like a nice message or testimonial or a client sends you like a thankful email take a screenshot and put that in your love folder and when you are feeling down about yourself go through that love folder like read all amazing things people have said about you okay you know that's a great tip and i think i might actually implement that Maggie, we're just running out of time. Is there anything that I've forgot to mention that you'd like to talk about? No, I think it's, it's you know, I, I know this isn't really like concrete advice, but especially when you're starting out, there's, you know, try to identify what actually makes you stand out and start like focusing in on your own strengths and weaknesses. Yep. I'm a big believer in focusing a lot more on your strengths and then outsourcing your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that would be a good way to start moving your business forward faster. And remember that we're all on our own journeys. We're all dealing with different things and different struggles and challenges. So, you know, don't compare your chapter one to someone else's chapter 10. And is that something that you can help our entrepreneurs with? I think that's actually a bit more of a personal journey. So I'm definitely mm-hmm. available for any like brainstorming, business models, marketing questions, things like that. But, uh, you know, a lot of this, what we've been talking about, finding your own vision, like definitely hit me up on Instagram if you want to, you know, have a conversation about that. But I think it's also something that you just have to personally go and explore and test out for yourself and see what works. Maggie, thank you very much for being on the Stressless Entrepreneur podcast. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Tommy. 
There you have it, guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Stressless Entrepreneur Podcast with me, your host, Tommy Bowie. If you like what you've heard today, please make sure you subscribe to our show and share this podcast with your friends. Leave us a review so that we can take on your comments, grow with you as a channel, and keep providing you quality, stress-free content. If you have a story to tell or just want to say hi, drop me an email on hello at the stresslessentrepreneur.com. I'll catch you all on the next episode.